last week, we, we talked about when God moves. And we talked about in Acts chapter 10, how Peter and Cornelius were in separate places at separate times, but God's spirit brought them together. The gospel was preached to the Gentiles and man, God moved on the earth. The gospel went to all of the Gentiles from that point. They had a meeting in Jerusalem and discussed all of the wonderful things that were happening. And it was a glorious thing that happened in that council in Jerusalem and that happened in Cornelius's house. And you're talking about divine work, God's spirit moving on the earth. That was it. That was it. But that's not the only time. And today I, I felt just led to go ahead and we're going to do part two when God moves today because sometimes when God moves it's not as it's not always as obvious and sometimes when God moves it's in difficult circumstances sometimes that we get in places in our lives in hard places in our lives in difficult circumstances in our lives for a reason and God has a way of using those difficult places, those hard places, what seems like a place where God is not going to move, where God does move. And to continue along the theme of Peter, I don't know, Peter's just been seeming what the Lord wants us to look at lately. We're going to look at again, and we're going to go to right just the next chapter, right after Acts 10 and 11, Acts chapter 12. When God moves, part two. This is an unusual story here, unique in the Bible, unique in what happens here. And once again, as I, I try to tell you always, location, 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 context is so important. And when you're reading the scriptures, I mean, this is one of those stories that when you think about the context of the world that they're living in and you read this story, oh, wow, it just, it, it really ministers to your soul. Acts chapter 11, we had just saw God's Spirit at work, bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, people being added to the church, a glorious thing, a beautiful thing. But then we see here that even after that, and at the end of Acts chapter 11, the Bible talks about the church at Antioch and talks about persecution coming, but yet the Lord was turning people to, G to Him. And now we end up here in Acts chapter 12, and here are the apostles doing the work of God, doing what God has called them to do. And notice that when they have begun the work of God, there is this seemingly opposition. And the Bible talks about King Herod and says that in Acts chapter 12, we're going to read here in just the first few verses, that about that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. Now, it's important that we remember that this morning, that as we're reading here, it talks about King Herod. He didn't just arrest them. He didn't just put them in prison. He laid violent hands upon them. And what you're going to see in a few minutes here is that what Herod does is very sadistic in a way, is that he begins, he sees that what is happening, that there is amusement to the Jews. We're going to read it. This is what he said. The scriptures say the, 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 he notices that the Jews were happy by this. And so he begins to do it even more. We read here. So therefore, in verse two, he had James, the brother of John, killed with the sword. If you remember, this is James and John. They were known as the sons of thunder. And the brother of John, he was killed with the sword. 
Watch what verse 3 says. Just, just, just wicked. After he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the festival of unleavened bread, the, the festival of sacredness, a festival of time of focusing on God. And here the Jews are, uh, the, the Jews that are opposing the gospel, opposing Jesus, they're taking delight in the fact that somebody has been killed with the sword and now here's another one, let's kill him too. You see how wicked it is? There's just an evil that's happening here that's unexplainable. It's not the type of evil that is prone to human, humankind. It's a type of evil that is prone to the work of the enemy. And he says that when he had seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over. Watch what the Bible says here. Four squads of soldiers to guard him. I tell you, if you ever wanted to see people who were afraid of a prisoner, of the most innocent prisoner, just watch the Christians. I mean, you're talking about Jesus in a tomb, stacking up Roman soldiers in front of that thing. Here is Peter being put, four squads being put in front of his prison, watching out with him. We're going to see in just a few moments that Peter, they, they were so worried about Peter being taken out of the prison that there were guards that were sleeping on either side of him and guards that were sleeping in the door in front of him. So if there was going to be a way that was going to happen... These guards were going to know about it. If these guys were going to try to come and break Peter out. For some reason, th this is just the irony of it all, is here are these people who are doing the work of the Lord. They're proclaiming the gospel of peace. They're helping widows. They're helping the poor. And they're scared of them more than anybody in all of the earth. Stacking up squadrons of soldiers like this. Ridiculous. And so then the Bible says, that when he had seized him, he put him in prison, handed him over four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending him to bring him out to the people after the Passover. If you remember, that sounds very familiar to someone else's story. Passover was an opportunity to make a public spectacle. And verse 5, while Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently to God for him. And the very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. Now, uh, I just want to back up here for a minute. It's an important thing to remember here is that Peter was put in prison to die. He was not put in prison to be persecuted. He was not being put in prison so he could have a trial at court. He was bound for death. The scriptures tell us here, they delighted in how James was killed by the sword. And so therefore now they put Peter in the prison and they were going to wait for his death to soon come. So just note here, Peter is being in this prison and he knows I'm next. My life is before me. My death is before me rather. And so they were sleeping in front of the door. Verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared. I love this story. This, this story, I just, I just come back to this story all the time. And I love just because of the, the, the themes and the things that are happening here. And an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Now you would think if two guards were sleeping and it was dark at night, you would think that they would see this bright light. Oh, but Peter saw something that they didn't see. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him up saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrist. Now, it doesn't say the guard took the, took the keys and unlocked them. It doesn't even say the angel took the keys and unlocked them. The Bible says they just simply fell. 
Now I want you to note here, because this isn't the, the last time that this happens, where there are earthly things that move by a divine presence in their midst. And you're going to begin to see that when God has a will, God makes a way. And he says here, the chains fell off his wrist and the angel said to him, uh, fasten your belt and put on your sandals. He did so. And then he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And Peter went out and followed him. And he didn't realize what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. Now, Peter, he's, he's just kind of like, this is like what is happening in Acts chapter 10. All of this is happening before him, and he's just kind of, you, you have to just kind of get the picture here. Peter is overwhelmed by these supernatural encounters. He's not used to them. They're happening for the first time. And he's seeing a, a, what we talked about last week, a sheet coming down from heaven and all of these things on it. And he's just like, what in the world is going on? And now he's seeing a vision about an angel walking him out of the prison. And Peter's just trying to think, have I lost my mind? Am I going crazy here? I'm seeing a vision. Surely this is not real happening here. This is just wishful thinking. And so the Bible goes on to say in verse 10, after they passed the first and the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. Now note here, if the guards were not enough alone, surely the gate was going to keep Peter from getting out. This iron gate, there was no way he's going to get over that. But watch what the Bible says. It opened for them of its own accord. Now isn't that funny? Here we go, we talk about these chains. They fell off his wrists. There was nobody who touched the chains. They just fell. We're talking about an iron door that was closed before him. There was no way Peter was getting over that thing, especially without even being noticed. Surely you know that in the night that thing was being guarded. But for some reason and somehow, the door opened of its own accord. And they went outside and walked along the lane when suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all of the Jewish people were and, and all from all that the Jewish people were expecting. The story goes on to say, and I won't read the rest to save you some time today, that he goes before the believers that were gathered in Mary's house, Mary, the mother of Jesus, now the mother of John, and they're gathered there. Uh, one of the ladies comes to the door. She slams it back in his face, runs back inside. Here's Peter left outside. He's in her overjoyment and excitement and goes back and tells him, Peter is at the front door. No, they say, you're out of your mind. Peter is not here. That must be his ghost. That must be a, a, an angel of his or something. And they go back and sure enough, it's Peter. And he comes in and he begins to tell them all how, the, how he was stuck in a prison. And the Bible says, and I just want to point out this one verse for him, of one verse in verse 17, he said, he motioned with his hands, be silent and describe for them how the Lord brought him out of the prison. And they went and they told the other believers about this. Can I tell you something? That's a move of God. And we talked last week about when God moves. And we talked really last week about when God moves in a very visible, public way. That God was bringing people to the Lord. And here is this almost clandestine mission of God's move on the earth. And the thing I want you to see today as we're looking at this is that when God moves, the enemy seeks to stop the move of God. 
When God is moving on the earth, the enemy has an agenda to try to inhibit that, that work. Because from the move of God, as we talked last week, lives are transformed. Lives are changed. And so if the enemy can stop the work of God, the enemy can keep on going what we know the enemy does. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so if the enemy could do whatever he could, he wants to do, it would be to stop the move of God. But listen, when God moves, there is a way that even conquers the work of the enemy. But usually what we know here is that when God moves, that the enemy seeks to stop the work of God. And normally the believers are the ones who are in the midst of this and have to take note that sometimes when God moves, we have to recognize that there is a move of God. The enemy is going to try to inhibit it. But take heart, as Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Be encouraged. And so a few things I want to show you about that when God moves, that the enemy doesn't stand a chance against the move of God. And some things for us to know. Because Peter and John and James and the others, they could have thought, man, God is moving on the earth in a mighty way. We just left this council in Jerusalem and rejoiced because all of the Gentiles are coming to Jesus. And now, here our brother, James, he's just been killed. And now Peter's in prison. And you would think that this would be a great discouragement. You would think that this would get them disheartened about the work of God. You would think that they would grow weary in the work of God. But the Bible says that while Peter was in prison, the church continued to fervently pray. And you're going to see here today is that the church was not thrown off by the enemy trying to inhibit the work of God. As a matter of fact, the church prayed even harder. The church prayed fervently. The church trusted in God. And as a matter of fact, the church witnessed the power of God conquer darkness. And so a few things we're going to see here this morning. The first one is this, is that when God moves, the light shines into the darkness. And this, was a, uh, this is a both, both a spiritual thing and really a literal thing that happened here. The Bible says that when the angel of the Lord showed up in the prison, the Bible says a light shone in that cell in the middle of the night. The light poured into that place, but for some reason the, 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 the guards couldn't see that. Only Peter saw it with his own eyes. But it's important to recognize that when God begins to move, when there is a move of God on the earth and God begins to work among his people and the Holy Spirit begins to fill and empower, you watch what happened. It happens throughout every story of the book of Acts. You'll see it in Jesus' ministry as well. When God begins to move, darkness is dispelled. When the light shines in the darkness, the Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You and I, we can be relieved today and take heart today that when God begins to move and work, there is a light that shines and there is and dispels darkness. And listen, you and I, we have no place to be afraid of the enemy because the light dispels the darkness. Here is Peter in a prison in the middle of the night. He could have been afraid, but that light shone in the darkness and what might have been a physical darkness was actually a spiritual darkness and it was being dispelled by the very presence of this angel doing the work of God in their midst. Listen, when God moves, the enemy doesn't stand a chance. Listen, it's not just at the end when all of us are standing before the Lord Jesus and all this thing comes up to a wrap at the end of the book of Revelation. No, listen, when God moves now, the enemy doesn't stand a chance. As a matter of fact, the enemy has already lost. 
We know this because Jesus resurrected from the dead. Jesus resurrected from the very dead to show you and I that you and I are not subject to the penalty of death, but he has conquered death. He has conquered the grave and he has conquered darkness. And through him, if the light shines in the darkness and the light is in you and I and it's in the work of the Lord in our midst, it overcomes the darkness. We need that. The Bible talks about a story in Mark chapter 5, an amazing story. There's so many things you can study and learn from this. In Mark chapter 5, here is Jesus. He's with this man who the Bible says he's been, he's been possessed by these demons for so long. And so many things are happening to him. He's torturing himself. He's breaking free from chains when people tried to chain him up. And the Bible says that when Jesus got near to him, those demons began to plead. The Bible says, and if you read that story, Mark chapter 5, the Bible uses this word over multiple times in that chapter. They begged him. They begged him. And I want to encourage you this. When light shines in darkness, darkness scatters like roaches. It's like if you put a pesticide in their midst and they just begin to run for their lives. Because there is a trembling that happens when the name of Jesus is made known. There is a trembling that happens because we know that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess at the name of Jesus. And when Jesus was in the midst of that type of darkness, watch what they did. They begged for their lives. They begged, please, please, please. And they wanted to get away from there immediately. When God moves, the light shines into the darkness. And when there is a move of God and there is a darkness hiding in some type of corner, that light is going to shine in that place and the darkness will scatter in Jesus' name. It's not a type of thing that we talk about a lot, but it's a type of thing that is happening among us all the time that we can't see with our spiritual or physical eyes. It's the type of thing that Peter saw with his spiritual eyes as he was in that prison. He couldn't behold it with his physical eyes, but his spiritual eyes, for some reason, he could see there was an angel before him, chains were falling off, doors were opening, and a darkness was being scattered to continue the work of God on the earth. Where God has a will, God will always make a way, and it doesn't matter if it's it's chains, a prison door, darkness, a little guard here and there, God will do it anyways. When God moves, the light shines into the darkness. The second thing you're going to see here is that when Peter was in there, this, this thing happened. We, we've, we've read over it, but just to bring your attention to it again, it says that the chains fell off his wrist. And really, it's, it's, it's symbolic in many ways, but it actually happened in Peter's case, that when God moves, there is freedom. There is a freedom and a liberty that you cannot buy on the earth in any place. You cannot find in any government institution. It is a freedom that comes to set people free from the yokes and the bondage of sin. Galatians 5.1 says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of bondage. 1 Corinthians says it this way, that when one turns to the Lord, the veil that is over their eyes is removed. And now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We underestimate this, this verse a lot. We underestimate the power of freedom. We underestimate that you and I are surrounded by people every day in our world that are bound by chains, like Peter in a prison. Bound 
by the yoke of sin, bound by darkness. And when God begins to move, listen, lives are transformed and there becomes a freedom, spiritually speaking, that you cannot describe in earthly terms. It's a type of freedom that releases that type of yoke, that type of heaviness, that type of weight. It was those guards. They were bound right up beside Peter. They were standing in him. You can almost imagine that Peter, in a way, felt like he was suffocated by their bondage, by their chaining him up. But listen, when God moves, moves and where the spirit of the Lord goes, there is freedom. It's an encouragement to you and I that if you need freedom today, if you are bound by something, what you need in your life and what I need in my life is the Holy Spirit that brings freedom, that releases that type of darkness over our lives and sets us free to live for Jesus. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Jesus came and he said it himself as he opened up the scroll and he began to preach, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news of good things, to set the oppressed free, to release from the prison the captives. Jesus knew that what he was dealing with was not a physical type of people in chains, although Mark chapter 5 was that. It was a type of spiritual darkness. And you know, as Jesus was walking down the streets and doing his earthly ministry, it was as if he was going around, taking chains off people's hands, opening prison doors and letting them out. And their eyes could finally see, you are the son of God. You are the Messiah. I will bow down and worship you because I have discovered a freedom that I've never had before. Listen, when someone is bound for a long time and they discover freedom, the Bible says he that is forgiven of much loves much. And when you discover that type of freedom, oh my goodness, what it does to your soul. How liberating it is. You don't have to get to heaven to discover that type of freedom. You can discover it right now. And listen, there is no sin, there is no thing on the earth that Jesus cannot break and set us free from. There is no temptation, there is no besetting sin that God cannot release us from. Not one thing. Because listen, when God moves, the light shines into the darkness and it has no choice but to flee. When God moves, there is freedom and it will have to be free in Jesus' name. And thirdly, we, sing the, we see this here. When God moves, strongholds are torn down. The Bible says in verse 10 that after they had passed the first and the second guard, that was a miracle in and of itself that they were able to pass those guards. They came before the iron gate leading into the city. There are so many physical things that are actually happening here that are representative of spiritual things that we see in Scripture. That this is an iron gate. It is a, literally a stronghold. It is the picture of what a stronghold is. It's a gate that is shut. It is iron. There is no way out. There is no place that you can climb up over the wall. There is no means by getting assistance and say toss a rope over it. There's guards watching for that type of thing. It's a stronghold. It is heavily defended. It is heavily, heavily defended and there is no way that anything from the outside is getting in. But when the Lord was with him, and the angel was walking with him, the Bible said that that door opened of its own accord. And I want you to take note here what happens, that this was a physical thing that was really representative of so many spiritual things that were happening, that that door opened just like that. There didn't need to be somebody to push on the gate. There didn't need to be a guard to come and unlock it. All it was just opened on its own. 
When God moves, strongholds are torn down. 1 Corinthians teaches us this, or 2 Corinthians chapter 10 teaches us this, that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. To demolish strongholds. When God begins to move, those type of things, they can't stand in the presence of Jesus. When God begins to move, anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, as we see here in this scripture, it has to come be obedient to Jesus immediately. And in the presence of God, there is no place for a stronghold. Because Jesus said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to set those people free. And if Jesus is going to be in our midst and working, and the Spirit of the Lord is going to bring freedom, then it also assures us that strongholds come tumbling down. It's like, I don't know if you've ever watched before, you can go online and you can find them, when they have these planned demolition of these, of these great big buildings. And they take dynamite and they go in and they plan and they, they put them on every floor and strategically it's engineered and then they go off and stand in a distance and they press a button. And just like that, that building comes tumbling down. And that's the type of thing that spiritually happens that we cannot behold with our spiritual eyes when Jesus begins to move in our midst. They come down just like that. There is no place for the work of the enemy in the presence of Jesus. When Jesus begins to move, all of those things, they have to go because of his authority over them. And the Pharisees came to him one time and they began to say to Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? The Pharisees were always trying to look who sent you and why are you doing what this why are you doing what you're doing. And you'll notice if you go back and you read that story, the Bible says that Jesus didn't answer them. He answered them with a question, but he never answered their question. He actually said, I'm not going to answer you because you haven't answered my question. But there was always this thought about the Pharisees, if we could just figure out his authority, then we could go to that thing and get a hold of that thing. But what they didn't realize is that the one who had the authority was standing right in front of them. And the authority that was before them was the type of the authority that tore down religious institutions like the Pharisees had, that pointed and put yokes on people, but they themselves could not bear. And they had no idea that the one who was standing before them would be the one who would later confirm all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. They weren't just dealing with God on earth. They were dealing with the God of heaven and earth right standing before them. And that type of authority causes strongholds to come tumbling down. Listen, when God moves, darkness dispels like roaches. There is no place in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus does not welcome that thing in his presence. No, Jesus' light dispels darkness and it goes fleeing in his name. As the musicians come, here's Peter in this prison. And I want you to watch what happens here in Acts chapter 12. The Bible says that all the miracle that happened there, he went back and he talked with the believers. It was an exciting, they were overjoyed. And the Bible tells us this, the story is recorded this, that after that, those guards who were watching over Peter, they were put to death by Herod, because they let him go. They, they, they lost responsibility. And not only that, but after this story right here, watch what happened to Herod. 
The Bible says Herod went up to go give a public address. They began to praise him as if he was God. He did not give glory to God. And the Bible says his body was eaten up by worms and he died there. That's in the Bible. That's in the New Testament. And it's proof of this, that when God moves, the enemy doesn't stand a chance against the move of God. And when God has a will, God will always make a way. If there is a king in the way, God will remove that king. If there are guards in the way, God will remove those guards. If there are chains in the way, God will remove it. If there is an iron gate, God will remove it. If there is a Red Sea right in front of them, God will make a way. Because when God moves, He is going to accomplish His work. Because His work is for the glory of God to be praised so that all the earth may know that Jesus is alive and that we don't have to live subject to that type of enemy anymore. That you and I have been given freedom through Jesus Christ. It's the type of freedom that Elisha was trying to relate to his servant. As his servant began to panic there, the enemy came encroaching in. He began to look all around him and see up in the hills. He began to see chariots, many, many, many around them. Opening up his physical eyes, he began to panic and began to worry. And Elisha prayed, let him see what's really happening. Paraphrasing. And the Bible says that as his eyes were open, that servant's eyes... He began to see chariots of fire and horses all about them and running all around them, defending them and working on their behalf. Because listen, you and I, we're a people of the earth. But there is a spiritual war that is happening, as Corinthians tells us. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. But yet they have power to demolish strongholds, to demolish arguments, to demolish every thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And as a matter of fact, we're going to take it captive to be obedient to Jesus Christ. You know, I was watching the news the other day. And I saw this whole thing that's unfolding in Ukraine. It's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. But I've just been so encouraged by the strength of the church in Ukraine right now. And I thought, oh God, if that was happening in the U.S. right now, would the U.S. church be able to stand with such endurance like you're doing right there in Ukraine? And as the, the Lord, or as the news went on that day, the, the, the reporter, he was talking about this convoy that we've all seen there. And you know, I just, it's been an amazing thing to see how God is working in ways that you and I cannot completely understand. And they began to talk about, and the reporter in New York was asking the reporter on the field in Ukraine and was saying, we've seen this convoy, but we can't figure out why isn't it progressing? Why isn't it getting close? And you know, the reporter said something that struck me that day. And he began to talk about, and he said, this were his words. He said, you know, it's kind of a mystery. He said, for some reason, their vehicles are breaking down. We can see it on satellite. They're running out of fuel. They're running out of supplies. And all I could think about was Acts chapter 12, when God's church is praying, and there's a great darkness, and they prayed fervently, and how Peter was set free from a prison. I thought, could it be that the church that is gathered to pray, there is a light that is dispelling darkness? God conquering. Listen. You and I, we don't have to be afraid of that thing, the enemy. God has entrusted you and I with authority through His 
element as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You and I are sons and daughters of the King and therefore have been entrusted with the authority to trample those things under our feet, to pull them down, to take up everything and put it in the name of Jesus behind us. And when the light shines in the darkness, the darkness is not overcome. Will you stand with me this morning? Will you just close your eyes with me this morning today, right where you're at? This morning, if you are here today and you need a move of God in your life, the type of move that brings freedom, the type of move that releases you from whatever you're dealing with, Jesus desires that for you because he loves you. Jesus isn't satisfied with watching his children bound up by chains and darkness. That is not Jesus' heart. Jesus' heart is this. Now where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's what God desires for you and I today. And this morning, if you need freedom today, if you want to call somebody to the Lord that needs freedom this morning, I want to invite you to just come this morning. And can we just do like the church in Acts chapter 12 and pray? Pray fervently to the Lord, calling upon God. That type of prayer is what destroys strongholds. That type of prayer is what takes hold of chains and releases them in Jesus' name. And I just want to invite you this morning, just come. Can we just have a time of prayer here today? Maybe it's for yourself. Just come stand. We'll pray with you. Maybe you want to come and kneel here today and call somebody to the Lord. But can we just take a few moments this morning? And